Well, welcome to Emmanuel Church. I hope you're excited to be here today. I am. I want to welcome, first of all, all of our campuses, our Franklin campus, our Bandit campus, and everyone watching on our online campus. We welcome you. You can give it up, everybody watching live right now. Thanks for tuning in. If you're a guest with us here today at any one of our campuses or watching online for the first time, uh, we just want to say thank you for accepting someone's invitation. Maybe someone has invited you for like, I don't know, years and you decided to come. Uh, so thanks for coming. And hopefully your experience thus far has been a good one. Uh, we are in a teaching series right now called Adulting. It's something we started last week. And basically the big idea behind this series is that it's not time that grows us up. We're going to jump right into content here. It's not time that grows us up. It's our, say it with me, our choices that grow us up. A lot of people think that time has something to do or is connected to maturity. And we all know by experience that that is just not true. Um, we all know 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, some 50-year-olds that are very immature. Anybody? Anybody know have a parent like that? Uncle Joey? <laughs> Aunt Susie? Why is it always Aunt Susie? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, they just got that issue, you know, they're like 40 and they're still doing that thing or whatever that thing is. I don't know. Showing up to parties drunk. I don't know. It's like, wow. Okay. So we all know that it's not necessarily time that grows us up. It's our choices. We've all met people that are like in their late teens, early 20s, incredibly mature people. What do we say about those people? We say, wow, they're so mature for their age. And we're thinking, we see, even subconsciously, we think that age has something to do with maturity and it's just not true. It's our choices that grow us up, not time. And so last week we just basically said we were going to dive into a couple of different choices that we need to make in order to hashtag adult. And the first choice we needed to make was to face reality. Was that fun last week or what? Was that bothersome? I hope I bothered you. I really wanted to get under your skin and, and mess with you. And so we said that, hey, adults basically, they choose to face reality. They stop living in denial. They stop self-medicating. You cannot change something in your life that you don't face into. And so if you missed last week's talk, if you're joining us for the first time, you can catch it on the podcast and, and, uh, and enjoy that. Today we're going to dive into the second choice. Before we do that, I want to uh, go into some, some uh, different tweets that I saw recently on a Twitter handle called Adulting. I don't know if you guys spend much time on on Twitter, uh, but I like that. that uh, that's my favorite me, uh, social media. I don't do Facebook much, but I found this guy. I, I don't even know if it's a guy or if it's a girl, but it's, uh, the Twitter handle is called Adulting. Check out some of these tweets that I saw recently. One day, you're, you're, one day you're not old, then the next thing you know, you're having discussions with other people about mortgage rates in your free time. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Anyway, next one. As kids, we wondered why adults were always in a bad mood. Now we're like, okay, yep, this makes sense. <laughs> How about this one? Being an adult is having the we have food at home talk with yourself. <laughs> Love this one. I may be an adult, but when I have to make an important phone call, I still secretly hope no one answers. Anybody? <laughs> this last one, this cracked me up. Peer pressure as an adult is seeing your neighbor mow their lawn. Oh, I love it. I have felt that. Have you not felt that? It's like, oh, I should cut mine, you know, I should water it or something. 
Just some fun stuff. There's lots, lots more on, on that Twitter handle. Uh, so if you want to laugh a little bit, you can check that out. So today, what I want to do is talk about the second choice, the second choice that adults make. Very simple. Adults choose, number two, adults choose to take responsibility for their life, to take responsibility for the condition of their life. <clears throat> What do I mean by that? They simply choose to take ownership of the condition of their life. Now, there is not an epidemic of responsibility going on in our world today. Have you noticed? It's always someone else's fault. You know, you, do, you go in to do marriage counseling, it's like he and he and he, and then the guy says she and she and she, and every time you point, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Somebody just pointed that out to me, isn't that fun? See how that works? Okay, so it's always someone else's fault. And you know, here's how I wrote it. Immature people blame others for the condition of their life. They blame others or they blame, some, they blame something else for the condition of their life. It's the, see, the reason I'm in this financial situation is because the economy, the economy is so bad. <laughs> if the economy were better, my business would be doing better. I'd be making more income. I you know, wouldn't be in so much debt. You know, see, the, the reason I'm in this current situation is because my parents, you have to understand, my parents, they're, they're, they're the ones to blame. They, you know, they, they didn't raise me right or didn't set me up well with opportunities. Never got to go to college. You know, other people's parents sent them to college, not mine. Right? It's always somebody else's fault. The reason the marriage is in a bad situation is because of the spouse, the other spouse, right? It's never my fault. See, the reason I'm in this situation is because of the weather. If the weather were better, right? Listen, if the Democrats were in office, it would all be better, right? If the Republicans would get their act together, my life would be better, right? If the, if, if the president were different, like it's always like somebody else we love to blame others. Nobody, now, nobody in this room, right? Nobody watching online. It's always the other person. <laughs> That's what immature people do. Jim Rome said it best. I love what he said. He said, the day that you choose to take full responsibility of your life is the day that you pass from childhood into adulthood. That's what we're talking about today. Jim Rohn tells this story about the day when his life turned around. He was 26 years old and the Girl Scout knocked on his door. Remember the Girl Scout cookie story? I told you that a few weeks ago. He lied to her face. He didn't have any money, but he said, he said listen, I just filled up. I just bought all. I, I have all that I need. He was lying. He decided to change his life that day. He started reading some self-development books. He got himself a mentor. A couple months into this new relationship with his mentor, his mentor said, Jim, Tell me how your life started to spiral out of control. No money in the bank. You're 26 years old. You got a family to raise. Like, what's going on? Jim got his list out. Well, it's the economy. It's the Republicans. It's this. It's that. It's the weather. It's my parents. I never went to college. I didn't know the right people. He went on through this whole list. Jim's mentor looked at him and said, Jim, great list. Only one problem with it. You're not on it. <laughs> Did you get it? You're not on the list. Jim. You're not taking responsibility for your life. I love what Theodore Roosevelt said. If you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. Come on, folks. Is there truth in that or what? <laughs> we always want to pass the buck to somebody else, but it's me. It's, it's my issue. I'm responsible for the condition of your life. Now, before I go any further, let me clarify something. Some of you are like, should I take responsibility for something that's not my fault? 
Last year, somebody rear-ended me on Stones Crossing Road. I mean, I'm sitting there with my blinker on, trying to turn left. All of a sudden, boom, smashed the whole back of my car. Please get called and everything like that. It wasn't my fault, right? We went back there, talked to the guy. I said, oh, there was a bee in my car, and I wasn't looking. I was like, dude, you're on your phone. Come on. <laughs> Don't lie to me. I'm the pastor of that church right over there. <laughs> you could literally see the church. I didn't say that, but I wanted to. I'm not saying you got to take ownership for stuff that's not your fault. Like sometimes things are not your fault, right? Tree falls on your house, get rear-ended, you know, parents abuse you, whatever. Someone rapes, you know, a daughter rapes you. I mean, it's some, there's, this is a dark world we live in. I'm not saying that you should take responsibility for the things that happened to you that were not your fault. I am saying that you need to take responsibility, and we'll get to this further, for how you respond to what happened to you. See the difference? I am saying that you need to take responsibility for the condition of your life now that that thing happened to you. That's what you're responsible for. But we don't like to, we like, we like to pass the buck. We like to blame. Why do we like to blame? Why do we blame others? And, and it's real simple. It's not that deep. It, it just makes us feel better. I mean, it's just because, let's just talk about it. I mean, it just, we just feel better when we say, look, it's not my fault. He did it, Right? This is why when you're raising a family, if anybody's raising a family, you got some kids in your house, this is, this is the conversation. Well, she did it, he did it. It's their fault. <laughs> and so a lot of parenting is simply saying, no, dude, you just got to own it. Own it. The other day I had all three of my kids at the, at the kitchen table and we just all, we watched a little video about personal responsibility and I just had them repeat out loud, it's my fault, all three of them. It's my fault. Say it with me. It's my fault. All three of us together. It's my fault, right? Didn't we do that, guys? They're sitting over here like, yeah, dad made us do that. <laughs> personal responsibility. We don't like to do it because it doesn't feel good. If I take responsibility for the situation, now I got to do something about it. I don't want to do something. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> I want you to do something. I don't want to change, right? So we pass the blood. We blame. We blame because it feels better. It removes the guilt, yes or no? We don't like to feel guilty about anything, the situation in our life. I, I don't want to feel guilt, so if I pass the blame to somebody else, somebody else feels, feels the guilt. I don't. I feel better. It removes my responsibility to do something. I love what Henry Cloud said in his book, It's Not My Fault. Listen to what Henry Cloud said. He said, blame is a sort of comfort food for the soul. Oh, I love how he uses words. A comfort food for the soul. Big bowl of ice cream at the end of the day. Makes all your problems go away. <laughs> you know, maybe it's mashed potatoes and gravy. Maybe it's a big bag of barbecue chips. I don't know what it is. But it's the same thing as blame. Blame makes me feel better. It diverts us from the effort of owning responsibility. You see that? I don't have to do anything. Where does this come from? It comes from our first parents, Adam and Eve. You know the story. God sets them up in the Garden of Eden. Everything is great. Everything's perfect. No sin, no shame, no guilt, fellowship with God. God gives them one simple rule. Hey, see that tree over there? Don't eat from it. It wasn't a whole bunch of rules, just one. They screwed it up. <laughs> they blew it. So when God goes to Adam to, to give an account because Adam is responsible for his behavior, Eve is responsible for behavior, he confronts them and says, hey, what happened? I gave you one rule, just one. You couldn't, you couldn't obey the one rule. Listen to Adam, I love it. Adam replied to the Lord, it was the, oh. don't you, don't you love it, guys? It's this, it's this woman you gave me. She is the source of my behavior. She made me do it. It actually gets worse. It, it, you almost can't see it, so I'm going to show it to you. It's the woman that you gave me. 
It's like you and the woman conspired against me to eat the fruit. I had nothing to do with it. You see that? We, and, and listen, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Pardon my pun, right? We, we do the same thing. And so God goes to Eve. He says, Eve, what happened? What's going on? You ever hear the phrase, the devil made me do it? This is where it came from. The serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. Listen, if you're asking me why I ate, which he was, if you're asking me why I ate, that's why I ate. The serpent made me do it. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was just, a, I was just an innocent bystander. I'm just a victim. I, I don't know. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to be responsible. He did it. Not me. Years ago, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we were coming up on our 19th wedding anniversary. I can't believe it. Um, it's, it's very exciting. This August, we'll celebrate 19 years. And yeah, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, you know, around the, the, the 10 year, eight to 10 year mark, we were having this cyclical argument um, about every six months, you know, something would happen and it would kind of trigger this, this ego disrespect feeling inside of me. My pride was, would be wounded and there were different things that would trigger the argument and, uh, and she would feel, you know, then I would say something and she would feel unloved and then I would... Uh, distance myself for her, from her and there'd be some coldness in our marriage for a couple of days and then we'd make up and say sorry and work it out and then another six months would go by, same thing would happen. And I'm like, what is going on, you know? And then one day when we're in one of these, these little periods of, of disagreement, that's to put it mildly, mildly. Anybody else's marriage go through that? Okay. Probably the only ones. Um, <laughs> she, looked at me, she looked at me and she just said, why, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? And, and I never forget my response. It was just so clear, so obvious. I believed it to my core. I said, I'm mad because of what you're doing. You are making me mad. I was totally blaming her for my anger. And I'm telling you, as long as we blame others, we will stay right where we are in our maturity level cannot move forward. In your, in your notes, the way I wrote it is this. Blame shifting locks us into adolescence. It's not my fault. You want to know why I'm angry? It's you. <laughs> you're the problem. And if you would fix all the stuff that you're doing to disrespecting me, that's disrespecting me, then I wouldn't be so mad. And that made me feel better because, look, I'm, not, now I'm a victim. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fix anything. It's all on Jackie. And when God made it clear to me that that's not the right path to go and that's sinful and that's wrong and that's acting just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, I started to hashtag adult and I started to grow up and I started to own my own emotional state instead of blaming Jackie. Why does, why does blame shifting lock us into childhood? Here's why. Because when you don't own what's going on inside of you, you can't fix it. If it's always someone else's fault, there's nothing I can do about it. Here's how it works. If it's not my fault, then I'm a victim. See? What am I supposed to do now? I'm helpless. Victims are helpless. I'm being attacked. Things are happening to me. The government, the, re the Republicans, da -da -da -da! my parents, my friends. I'm a victim. Victims are helpless. helpless. Victims are powerless. And if you're powerless, you cannot act. Yes or no? This makes sense? 
See, when you give away responsibility, you give away power to change your life. Victims say things like this, what am I supposed to do? She did this, he did this, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. What am I supposed to do about it? Uh, Take responsibility of your response to the situation. I love what Albert Einstein said. He said, man must cease attributing his problems to his environment and learn again to exercise his will, his personal responsibility. Pretty smart guy. You agree? We love to blame shift because what happens is it, it, it moves us away from, from the responsibility to take action. But I'm telling you, that locks us into childhood because now we're in a position of weakness and we don't, we don't act. We don't move to change maybe a financial situation in our lives or maybe a relationship that's not going well. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Right? Or maybe a relationship with a child that's, that's tense. What am I supposed to do? You know? When we fail to own it, we don't take action. And if we don't take action, things don't get fixed in our lives. I'm here to tell you today the truth. Personal responsibility empowers you to change your situation. That's what I'm trying to communicate. It's when you and I own our lives that we step into a position of power. When I started to realize that in my marriage, that my emotional state was my responsibility, that my anger was my responsibility, it wasn't Jackie's, it wasn't the economy, it wasn't the church, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, it was mine, that's when I started to grow up. I said, wow, if this is going to change, I have to start taking some action in my life. A couple of years ago, I read a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's written by a guy by the name of uh, Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian uh, psychologist, and he was also a Holocaust survivor. And he writes about the Holocaust uh, experience in his book. And uh, he basically studied this idea of depression and why people are depressed for the most part. And his conclusion was that people's depression is directly connected to a sense of meaninglessness in their life. No meaning leads to depression. And he goes deeper into the whole book and the whole, that whole concept in the book, but that was the overall theme. And he teaches in the book personal responsibility. One of my favorite quotes from the book is this right here. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. Watch this. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Now, this is a powerful statement coming from someone who had all of his freedoms taken away as a prisoner in a Nazi Germany concentration camp. Every single freedom taken away. And he writes about it in the book. He says, I watched all of the hundreds and thousands of people around me who were also prisoners give up their hope for life. They were being starved. They were being beaten. They were being murdered. But he decided, no, 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 see, there's, there's a space, there's a space. They can take away my, my freedoms on the outside, they can, they can starve me, they can beat me, but they cannot take away my freedom to choose how I feel. That's on the inside. And they could not reach into, the Nazi Germanies, could, the Germans, the, they, they could not reach into the soul and control how he felt and what he thought. And he realized that he had freedom. Let me, let, me, let me show you a diagram. This is, this is basically what he's talking about. In our lives, there are things sometimes that are outside of our control that we really can't take responsibility for. I mean, how can you take responsibility for being thrown into a, a prison camp, a Nazi prison camp? What did he do? Nothing. 
So sometimes it's not our responsibility. There's a stimulus that takes place. Then there's our response. How are we going to respond to being arrested? Or how are we going to respond to being, you know, hit in the rear end with, with, by another car or a tree falling on our house or, or, or abuse for, uh, of another human being, right? How are we going to respond? We're all going to have a response. In between these two things, there's this thing called power. The power to choose. And as human beings, we have that power. And that's why God will hold us accountable for our lives. Because in between stimulus and response, there's this space, this space of power, this space to choose how we're gonna respond to how the boss is treating us or what's going on with the economy or what the politicians are doing or what our parents did or maybe are still doing or what a sibling is doing to us. We have the power to, we can't ever say, what am I supposed to do? I'm helpless, I'm a victim. That's not how God has created you. You are created with freedom to choose your response. And therefore, you'll be held accountable. Does the Bible affirm this? Does the Bible teach this? Absolutely. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says this. I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does this mean? Some of you have heard this verse before. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says this, basically, this, this little Greek word here means to produce or to bring about or to finish or to accomplish something. Paul is saying, I want you to finish or accomplish your salvation, not the salvation part about going to heaven when you die. That's a free gift by grace, right? By faith. We don't earn our way to heaven, right? But Paul's not talking about the going to heaven part. He's talking about the right now part. This word salvation means deliverance. I want you to work out your deliverance. You say, deliverance from what? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Deliverance from anger, that was part of my, my, my deal. I'm still working on that. I want you to work out your deliverance from fear. Maybe, maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's pride. I don't know. Maybe it's deception. Maybe it's being passive aggressive. I'm not sure what you need to be delivered from, but here's what I'm saying, and here's what Paul is saying. You need to take 100% responsibility for your deliverance, and I want you to do it with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means total focus. I remember back in college, there was this one particular moment where I needed to get a good grade in order to move on to the next, uh, next grade or even graduate, I can't remember, and, and one, of the, one of the things that was, uh, uh, my grade was dependent upon was this 20-page paper. And if you were like me in high school or college, you were a major c- c- procrastinator, anybody else? And so it's like the night before, and I got this 20-page paper due, and my whole grade depends on this paper. You know what I did? I worked with some fear and trembling, and I pulled an all-nighter, and I typed and typed and typed until my head was falling down, and I don't even remember if the sentences worked together, but I'll tell you what, I, pay, I handed that paper in, and I passed that, that class because I worked with fear and trembling. Here's what Paul is saying. I want you to work with fear and trembling, what? To deliver yourself from whatever has trapped you. Right in the book of Genesis, God takes Adam, puts him in the Garden of Eve, Garden of Eden, <laughs> puts him in the Garden of Eden, and, and watch this. The Lord God placed a man in the Garden of Eden to do what? To tend it and watch over it. This little phrase right here in the Hebrew means to manage, to steward, to, to take care of. Right from the first pages of the Bible, we see that God makes each one of us responsible over things, which is why in the end, when every single one of us die, we'll give a personal account to God for our lives. 
Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. How can we do that? I mean, none of us are going to get there one day and say, well, it's not my fault. What, what, was I, what was I supposed to do? Guys, I say, no. In between stimulus and response, there was a space, and we're gonna give, you're going to give an account now of everything you said, everything you did, everything you didn't do, everything you didn't say. Let's talk about it. And you'll give a personal account to God for your life. Why? Because you are 100% responsible for your life. You with me, yes or no? This isn't easy stuff, but it's real. And it is absolutely the truth. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a second, you're making it sound like it's all up to me. You're making it sound like we should trust in ourselves. You know, isn't God part of this whole deal? Like, where, where's the God part in this? He's there. Like, in Philippians 2.12, Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, some people think that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is not a biblical statement. But come to find out, it is very biblical. God does help those who help themselves. Let's be honest. There are some things God will not do for you. Do you agree with this? Like, you can pray all you want to lose 40 pounds. He is not sucking the fat off your stomach. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He will not do it. He'll say, Look, I'm glad you want to lose weight. I'm glad you want to be in shape. And I love to answer those prayers, but you need to get your butt in the gym and put the chips away. I say, God wouldn't say that. Yes, he would. And he has. And you've probably heard him and you've ignored him. You're like, you'd rather just pray, help me lose weight. You know, it's like, people say, I'd love to get out of debt. God, send me $100,000 to get out of debt. And he'll say, yeah, get your butt on a budget. And stop overspending and cut the credit cards out. That's what Dave Ramsey's all about. Personal responsibility. Then what does he do? He meets you halfway and he says, now that you've made a choice to take action, now that you have owned your financial condition and your physical health, I will meet you and, and add my supernatural to your natural. But I'm not going to do for you what I've called you to do for yourself. Amen? Amen. See, that's how, that's how God works. He meets us halfway. He says, take responsibility for your life and I will help you to do what? To bring about my good purpose in your life. Yes, I want you to be healthy. I, I remember hearing somebody say, I can't remember who it was. They said to me, and maybe I read it in a book, I can't remember, but it was like, you can, you can be as close to God as you want to be. I was like, whoa, I kind of like that statement and I kind of don't like that statement. Like, I kind of want to pray, and then God, like, just gets close to me. Wouldn't that be awesome to be intimately walking with God just because you asked him, right? That's not how it works. But if the Bible says, seek me and you'll find me. Like, first things first. Like, seek my kingdom and all of this. Like, like if you pursue me, then I'll pursue you. I'll be found by you if you come at me with all of your heart. Through what? Meditation, through prayer, through fasting, through silence, through solitude. And I started to read about all these things that I need to do to get close to God. I started doing them. Guess what? I started to get close to God. I started to walk more intimately with him. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to bring about his good will and purpose for your life. I love the way St. Augustine said it. He, he, he tied up this tension real well, or resolved this tension real well. He said, pray as though everything depends on God and work as though everything depended upon you. Did you see it? Did you see the personal responsibility and the trust and how they go together? We must own our lives. And if we don't, if we don't, 
we will be locked into childhood. We will be trapped into adolescence because what we don't own, we cannot fix. So how do we do this? How do we take 100% responsibility for our lives? Two things. One, number one, we stop blaming others. We stop blaming others. Yeah, that thing happened to you, and I know you got a story because everybody's got a story. I understand. I understand that that, that terrible thing happened and, 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 and it wasn't your fault. I get it. But now what? I need you to stop blaming. God is asking you to stop blaming the situation that took place or the person that did that thing for your current condition of, uh, of your soul. Like, I understand that you have bitterness and, and I understand that it's probably because he did this or she did that, but now you have to act. Now you have the space between the stimulus and the response to choose to do what? To forgive that person and move on. And because you haven't forgiven, you are stuck in childhood. I'm so mad. I don't talk to her. I don't talk to him. <laughs> so how does he know that? Because I have a family. I do. Yeah, I'm a pastor and I've got a family. Just like yours. And it's hard. you got to choose your response. And God will hold you accountable for that. And there'll be no stories on Judgment Day. Well, it wasn't my fault. There's nothing I can do. Oh, yes, you could. There was a space. There's a space between stimulus and response. Stop blaming others for the condition of your life. And then number two, own it. Own your life. Take it on. Full responsibility. Put yourself in a position of power. When you blame others, you put yourself in a powerless posture. When you take responsibility, you're in a position now to act. And you can start to change the financial situation. You can start to change your physical health. You can start to change your relationship with God. I have a friend who, who, who said to me a couple years ago, I've just, I'm stuck in pornography. I can't get out. I pray all the time, and I just I wish I can be free. And then I say, well, what are you doing about it? Well, I pray. I say, okay, that's great. I, I'm all for prayer. I love prayer. I think, God, I think God answers prayers. I do. I believe in prayer. But what else are you doing? Well, I do, you know. You, are you in a group for, for, for people who are addicted to pornography? No. no. Did you get rid of your computer? No. Did you get rid of your cell phone? That's the source of? Well, no. Have you memorized, you know, Proverbs 5.21? Have you memorized, you know, Psalm 119 verse 11? Have, well, no, 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 no. But you're praying. Oh. No wonder you haven't been delivered from pornography. You're praying. Now, again, I'm all for prayer, but God is going to work with those people who have said, I will work out my own deliverance, and I will trust God to add his supernatural power to my natural efforts for the deliverance. You see how that works? That's owning your life and owning your salvation. Many years ago, I read a book called um, Bonhoeffer, written by Eric Metaxas. It's a, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's famous for writing the book, uh, The Costs of Discipleship. Difficult read, but very challenging, effective book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany uh, before Adolf Hitler started to rise to power, so he got to watch the whole thing take place as he was pastoring a church in, in Germany. And... Um, as the story unfolds, long story short, you know, it was kind of like the whole frog in the kettle deal with Germany, that the heat went up, and by the time it was too late, you know, Jews were being murdered. 
at the peak of the concentration camp, you know, if the concentration camp's effectiveness, uh, the, the major concentration camps were killing 2,000 Jews per hour. Think about that. 24,000 a day, just in Auschwitz and the other big ones. And so by the time it was, you know, it was out of control, you couldn't call the police, you couldn't appeal to the government because Hitler owned it all. It was all his. Who do you appeal to? No one, God. You pray. And I'm sure they prayed. But Bonhoeffer and many, many other Germans who didn't drink the sauce said, we got to do something. And so he and some other uh, committed Germans, people of faith, decided to kill Hitler. And they put a plan together and tried to assassinate him, which many others tried to assassinate him too. And somehow he miraculously, miraculously uh, survived all of them. But they failed, and Bonhoeffer was arrested and put in a prison camp, and he was executed. He wrote this statement, which makes this statement so powerful. Action springs not from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. See, a lot of people were thinking, well, how do we stop Hitler? How do we stop Hitler? Somebody should stop Hitler. We should stop Hitler. He's doing terrible things. But it was only a few Germans that thought, it's my job. It's my country. And those ones who were in a position of responsibility took action to stop him. The same is true for my life. The same is true for your life. As long as my finger is pointed out to the president, the economy, to you, to my wife, to my kids, I, I stay stuck in adolescence, and so do you. But as soon as I make that shift and say, oh my gosh, it's on me, that's when I begin to adult. Now let me wrap this up by saying, some of you need to own the responsibility for your soul. See, God is, is this amazing being who gives us free will, and, and he, he refuses, he refuses to, to press in on that and take that away from us. He wants to spend eternity with us forever. I mean, you have an eternal soul and it's gonna spend eternity either with God or without God. And obviously because God is love, he wants you to be with him. But there's this thing called sin in my life, in your life that prevents us from being with God. And so God provided a way to remove that sin, to remove the barrier. And that's Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes to this earth and he dies on the cross. And three days later, he rises again to conquer sin, to conquer the penalty held against you, to remove the barrier between you and God. And then God says, okay, now I've done everything to make sure that you can be with me in eternity, but now it's still on you. You must choose. I'm not gonna force you to love my son. I'm not gonna force you to trust in my son. I'm not gonna force you to believe in my son. I'm not gonna force you to, to choose me. You get to choose. It's beautiful, it's human responsibility. And so because of that, one day you will give, look at Romans 14 again, you will give a personal account to God. Why? Because God gives you the choice. What will you do with my son? Will you put your faith in him? Will you trust him? Will you love him? Or will you not? And you'll give an account to God for that one day. What will you say? My hope as your pastor 
you're watching online, whatever campus you're at, is that you'll be able to say, I trusted him, I loved him, I put my faith in him, I put my confidence in him, he's my savior, he's my Lord, I followed him to the best of my ability, I tried to honor him with my life. And, 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 and then hear the voice of God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, you may enter. What will he say to you? Well, that depends on your choice. You have to own the condition of your soul. You have to own the destination of your soul. God will not force you to make that choice. What will you choose? He loves you. He invites you today. If you'd like to put your faith in him today, I'm going to say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. You just trust him. Put your faith in him. And today you can become a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Will you pray with me? If you feel a tugging on your heart right now, just step into this moment, trust Christ, put your faith in him, he's listening. Take these words, make them your own, say, dear Jesus, I trust you today. I put my faith in you today. I ask you to wash away my sin, remove the barrier, the guilt, the shame, take away the penalty. I put my faith in you. I take responsibility and I exercise my will to choose. I choose to trust you. I choose to turn away from a life of selfishness and sin, self-centeredness and ego and pride. And I choose instead to follow you, to love you, to obey you, to honor you with my life. Make me your child right now. And teach me from this day forward to become more like your son. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Hey, church, if you just prayed that prayer, we love, we love to celebrate with you, don't we, guys? Come on, raise it high. Amen. God transforms us through his spirit. He transforms us through his word. If you prayed to receive Christ today, whether it's online or one of our campuses here, we'd like to put a new, a new testament in your hands. The Bible says that as we take God's word into our mind and heart, he shows us where to go. He shows us how to live. He transforms us from the inside out. So we wanna put a new testament in your hands. There's tables back here to my right, to my left. If you're, if you're online, you can check the box there that says I accepted Christ. Put your address there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. Also, Starting point, if you have questions about faith, if you're just coming back to church after a while, if you just put your faith in Christ and you have questions about faith, talk to our team about starting point. It's a short-term environment designed to help you just kind of answer some questions about faith and get started. So let me leave you with a question today. As you walk out, here's the question. Are you owning your life? This is one of those questions that I hope bothers you. Yes, I want to mess with you. I want to get under your skin. I want you to change. Are, like what percentage of your life are you owning? 75? Okay, take that 25% where you're blaming others for and own the 25. Own the 35. Own the 50. Maybe it's 50. Hey, maybe you're not owning 75% of your life. Make that transition. Jim Rome is right. When you decide to take full responsibility of your life, you move from childhood into adulthood and you become the person that God has created you to be. Are you owning your life? You cannot fix what you do not own. Can you say that with me? Can can we all say it together? You cannot fix what you do not own. Come on, say it with me. You cannot fix what you do not own. You gotta say that to your kids. You gotta say it to yourself. You gotta say it to your brothers and sisters. Hey, you might even have to say it to your parents. Pastor Danny said you can't fix what you don't own. Come on, tweet it, Facebook it, 
Hashtag it, adulting, it's the truth, and the truth will set us free. At this time, I'm gonna hand things off to our local pastors. Uh, for, they have a special announcement for you as we wrap things up.